You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Schultz. Joining me on the show today, we're getting into some draft talk. We've got EJ Snyder at the Draftsman FB on Twitter. You've heard him talk to me. He's over at SB Nation doing the Bears over Beers show, but he's also doing bootleg football with Brett Coleman. And man, you guys do such a great job just leading up to the draft. I know this is the time of year where I'm listening because I'm trying to find out who the Seahawks should be looking at going into this 2022 NFL draft. And uh, I appreciate you coming back on. Happy to be here. It's always a good time. And yeah, tis the season. All-star games have begun. Uh, we're down here for the Shrine Bowl, uh, covering the Senior Bowl as well, which is going on in Mobile right now. So the wheels are turning. It is the kickoff of that season that I love. And uh, I think a lot of Seahawks fans are probably going to pivot into that this year. They know the team has some needs, so it's time. They do have some needs. Now they don't have a first round pick thanks to the Jamal Adams trade, but we they, they have top 10 picks now, I think, that uh, just from their finish they had this season. So we're going to be drafting relatively high in the rounds, which is not something that we're used to traditionally as Seahawks fans. And who knows? There's so many things that could change between now and draft time. Maybe we do need to talk about first round picks because maybe they make some sort of move that we're not even expecting. And, you know, it's not going to be quarterback, but I'm I'm just saying there could be some (laughs) other move out there. You're down in Vegas, as you mentioned, the East West Shrine Bowl down there. You're you're covering the Senior Bowl remotely. But, you know, before we get into some of that, I, I want to know from you as we get into this draft season. And I know we don't have you know the the Senior Bowl stuff quite yet to to really dissect. There's the combine still to to really break down all the measurables. But are you are you getting a sense so far of where the strength of this particular draft class is? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really coming to much clearer focus over the last month for me. Um, other draft analysts who've been studying the class longer, uh, maybe do a little bit less uh, work on the NFL regular season. will tell you that they had that idea in summer, but it, a lot of it depends on declarations, folks who are eligible. It's an odd year because uh, last year was one of the smallest draft classes in history. A lot of guys chose to go back uh, because of COVID. Maybe their school didn't play a lot. Uh, they wanted to up their stock. So last year's class was historically small in terms of overall number of players that made themselves eligible. And this year's class is going to be historically large because there's a backlog of players. Um So a lot of players to choose from and quite a few strong areas. I think folks have gotten really used to there being a really strong quarterback class at the top. This one isn't typically that strong. There are a bunch of guys I think can compete, uh, but I wouldn't call it an overly strong quarterback class. Um, Wide receiver has been historically strong for two years in a row. Still a lot of good wide receivers. Colleges are producing them at a 
at a record rate, but this class is down a little bit. Doesn't mean there's not good players there. There really are. Um, tight end is really strong this year, and that's great because it's been not great for several years. Probably, I would say, three to four since we've had a really decent tight end class. Always, again, some good players at the top, but just a few and then sort of more role players down the board. This year, there were probably three or four tight ends, I think four tight ends here in Las Vegas who are going to be able to contribute fairly early. And the class in Mobile is loaded. There's probably six or seven guys there that are really good all-around athletes and really good players at the position. So it's been a while for tight end. It's loaded. Offensive line, interior offensive line is really good. There's good tackle depth. Maybe, again, not the top-heavy tackle depth. Two, three guys at the top, maybe. But a lot of good players who are going to go through round two, round three, round four, who are going to help teams in pass protection. Edge class is pretty good. Um, This week, some of the interior rushers have popped. The defensive tackles, three techs. I think there's more depth there. I've been a little bit surprised by how well some of those players that maybe didn't have the biggest names have played. Interior linebacker, there's some insane athletes at the top. Um, Guys are going to get first-round consideration, even though that's not necessarily a first-round position. Running backs, I think there's great depth. A couple of three guys kind of up at the top who will be in that, I'd honestly say, second-round consideration because if you're going to draft a running back in the first round anymore, you better be super-duper sure he's amazing. Safety class is pretty good. I'd say low-key strong. And corner class is sort of the same way. There's just a couple, two, three guys at the top, first-rounders probably, and then a lot of, hey, what guy fits my system? Yeah, and you know, whenever I'm thinking about strength, too, of a class, I'm really looking for the the strength being that depth of talent to where you know, you're know you looking at guys in the second, third, fourth round. And, and you mentioned wide receiver as one of those areas where, yeah, if you're picking in the the fourth, fifth, sixth round. I mean, there's there's guys who end up contributing in their first couple of years. And that that really has shown to be because with the Seahawks, with Freddie Swain, you know, there's a guy that they got in the sixth round and we're seeing him contribute these last two years. So that I think and, and that was one of those classes where, yeah, it was it was talked about just how good the amount of depth was in that particular wide receiver year. So, yeah, if if there's one position group, though, that you had to narrow it down to, where do you go? Ooh. That's a tough one. Um, the edge class looks really good. It's going to be tough to beat them uh, in terms of just flash a lot of guys that are, I'll, I'll just say they're just mutants. You know, they're really <laughs> tall, really long, really fast, uh, just all the things you want. It's a high value position, which is probably why I picked that one. Yeah. It's like offensive tackle or quarterback. And honestly, now, like number one wide receiver is, is eking its importance up there we see what happens to teams when they lose that position guys like deandre hopkins go down and the offense just kind of stalls right um we've seen how important Devonte adams is to the packers and he might leave like not having that go-to guy that can win every week put up 100 yards and and just get those necessary first downs long touchdowns those are kind of four positions where there's a lot of priority um out of those i'd probably say like edge class or either the upper crust of the offensive tackle class. All right. Well, we'll get into some particular guys there too. I want to ask you about the East West Shrine game though, because you were there in Vegas this past weekend on site. And, and so I'm curious, are there any players there that jumped out at you? And, and just to let people know too, the, the East West Shrine game, normally the senior bowl, that's where the top guys 
are going in terms of college talent. But it sounded like there's some pretty good talent that you were seeing down there at the East West Shrine game, too. Yeah. And and like you said, the the strength of the draft a lot of times is in the value is in the later rounds. Um, those guys are going to contribute. They're going to make rosters. They're going to they're going to surprise and they're going to be those guys that, you know, three or four years from now, they're going to be like, how did that guy go in the fifth round when he goes in and is productive with the team? There are a lot of guys that pop this week at Shrine Bowl. Um, honestly, I think probably very easily could have gotten the call up to Mobile. In fact, there were guys on this roster who got the call up to Mobile uh, in the last week. In fact, four of them, um, UCLA guy who's a defensive tackle, got the call up. There was a South Carolina running back who's extremely fast who ended up in Mobile that was supposed to be here. Um, but that it didn't drain the talent. There was a lot of guys here. Um, one of my favorites was a guy named Jelani Woods, who's a tight end for Virginia. Extremely tall. Everybody mistakes him as a tackle. If you're, if you're just looking across the field and then all the tackles move away and you're like, why, why is that guy still standing there? Oh, he's a tight end. Six, seven, played for the Cavaliers and showed a way better first step. First and second step, the burst off the line was really impressive. I, again, really strong tight end class. And here's a guy at the Shrine Bowl. You're thinking, ah, you know, he's probably just tall. He probably can't catch. He's probably not fast. Mm-mm. He's got everything. He's got great hands. He's, he's a huge target. And he's really quick off the line. He surprised a lot of people. They they were not thinking that a guy with levers that long could move that fast. Slot receiver out of UCLA, Kyle Phillips, had an outstanding week. Probably the best player here. Has a shot to be the highest drafted player here. Just was uncoverable. Nobody could catch him. Um, we got a chance to sit down and talk to him one-on-one. Fantastic player. Uh, real craftsman, but is also very physically strong and works on that aspect of his game as well. Tremendous releases, combines releases in a way that just confused defensive backs. He was open all week, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, Every time he looked up, Kyle Phillips was catching something. He could walk into the league right now and day one be a number three slot receiver and probably get, depending on the team, 60-plus catches, anywhere between six and 700 yards as a rookie, and I wouldn't bat an eye. I'd say, yep, he looked prepared. He's got NFL separation skills right now. On defense, um, there were a couple of three-tag tackles, one from Tennessee, one from Stanford. Um, Thomas Booker from Stanford uh, definitely turned some heads. Uh, wants to play three-tech in the league. He's about 310 pounds. Brilliant guy, and I don't use that phrase lightly. Um, was recruited to Stanford, was recruited to Notre Dame. Um, Stanford actually got their first look at him when he was a sophomore in high school and went to do an extracurricular econ program at Stanford in the summer. Hmm. And they said, hey, if you want to apply, um, <laughs> we hear you're pretty good at football. It, very, very smart football player, not just a smart intellectual person. Understands the game at a level that very few people that I've ever talked to do um, and is, is really talented. Came down here and was just lived in the backfield all week. How, how does that benefit a guy who plays right in the middle of the defense, though, like that? You'd be surprised. So a lot of people think it's just, you know, they say the trenches all the time. It's just brawn. It's just line up and beat the guy physically. There's so much that goes into line play on both sides. A lot of times the most intelligent guys on a football team are the offensive line. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I believe that for the offensive line, but defensive line, you tend not to, it's not Mirror the same. Image, same <laughs> thing. To beat those guys who are big and strong and tough and smart, you have to be the same thing. There, it's, a, it's a 
constant chess game down there. Counter, who's got to tell? It's like poker players. What are you going to do that's going to tip me off that this is run, that this is pass? Are you letting up pressure on your fingers because you've got to rack back into your pass set? Uh, do you always look to your left when it's pass blocking, right, to see the guy that's going to be there? You know, they pick up on all of that stuff. Great story about um, Landon Collins, or sorry, Landon Dickerson, who was the center at Alabama, now with Philadelphia Eagles, likely replacement for Jason Kelsey. The, these guys trade notes. They're really smart defensive players, defensive tackles, and there's another defensive tackle from Kentucky here, Marquand McCall. And Booker and McCall were talking, and he was like, Landon was a guy that doesn't do anything. He is very specific about making you play it straight. He doesn't drop his butt right before he snaps. He doesn't twitch his hand or, or twist his fingers in a certain way. And he would go so far as to uh, keep his head moving as if he was going to make the mic point, which is pointing out the middle linebacker, and snap it while he was moving his head so that you got no jump. And these two defensive tackles were comparing notes about guys that were doing it. So just fascinating levels of the game and intelligence and understanding alignment and how that manipulates the people across from you and how that can make space for your rush. Fascinating conversation. We talked to Booker for about 40 minutes and it could have been four hours. Um, just a brilliant guy pulled out his iPad from Stanford, David Shaw, the coach there. Um, three years worth of game plans, all marked up. Um, and I took this to the DC and I wanted to run this blitz this way because it worked the week before. And we had, you know, just a, a tremendously detailed understanding of the game. So really, really cool. And Kyle Phillips on the offensive side, same way. This is how I set up a defensive back. This is how I hold my head. I never put my eyes here. Um, this is how I shift my hips. This is where my feet go. You know, I watch guys like Devontae Adams, who is sort of universally lauded by all these guys as the best route runner in the NFL, Keenan Allen, those guys. So tons of technique and technical knowledge about football from those top players. And it showed out on the field this week. So you go from that. And now during the week, you have senior bowl guys to start watching practices started on Tuesday going throughout the week. What are some of the things that you're looking for with regard to this particular class at senior bowl? Matchups, one-on-one matchups are always important. They're not so important necessarily for making a player, but they are important for slotting a player, right? Winning a one-on-one -on -one matchup at the senior bowl does not make you good. Winning a one-on-one -on -one matchup against someone that maybe you haven't seen in terms of size or power or level of competition makes people sort of make a mark and go back and check their film and say, Hey, did I, is this, does this confirm the things I saw or does this make me say, did I miss something and I need to go back? Maybe it's the ability for an offensive lineman to anchor or not, you know, they get bowled over three or four times during the week and you say, Hmm, you know, I didn't see that on tape. Did I miss it? Or is that a real thing? Does he struggle against power rushers? Same thing with one-on-ones. Uh, a lot gets made of the wide receivers and cornerbacks. Those drills are a little skewed towards wide receiver. Cornerback doesn't have any help, which they typically do in almost every defensive scheme. Uh, they're just out there on an island. And it's pretty much set up for the for the wide receiver to win. So if a defensive back wins that rep, that's something to mark down. Uh, you want to see if a shorter DB can play against taller wide receivers, right? Maybe they maybe they didn't really see anybody that was 6'3 or 6'4 or 6'5 uh, in their conference. We were talking to one of our favorite questions for all the players we interviewed was who is the best player you played against and who's the best player on your team that's a young player that maybe we don't know about that two or three years from now we're going to see. Mm. Um, and one of the guys we talked to from Virginia, 
said, oh, it's this guy. It's a wide receiver. And we were like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, you'll know him when you see him. He's 6'7". And he's a wide receiver? And he's like, yeah, he's fast, too. He's probably going to run like a high 4'3", low 4'4". And I was like, wow. okay. <laughs> There's a height, weight, speed guy. So you want to see how people match up against different body types. And it's all, it's the biggest job interview they've ever gone to, right? They show up. They don't know any of their teammates or they actually know quite a few of them from camps and being recruited and maybe even playing on their team with the transfer portal this year. There's a lot of guys that have been on more than one team. In fact, we talked to guys that have been on three teams wow. and were, were recruited by two others. So they're like, oh yeah, that guy over there, he was my, he was my visit host when I went to Notre Dame. Like he ended up playing at Stanford, but so they do know each other, but um, they line up and you know, the entire NFL world is there. Scouts, agents, GMs, coaches, team presidents, media, everybody's there. So it is, it's an extremely high pressure event for them. The days are extremely long. They get tested and interviewed late into the night. They have to get up and get treatment and get back to practice. It's, it's a bit of a grind and that's on purpose. And, you know, you're just looking for guys that come out and compete and for guys that get beat, the guys that figure that out, because again, the offensive linemen go back and they watch tape at night after Tuesday, they go, how did I get beat? And they come out, do they fix that on Wednesday, right? right. Do they keep getting beat by that? Um, those are all the kind of things you can pick up. It's not about whether or not a player has talent. Everybody on that field has talent. Everybody on the Shrine Bowl field has a ton of talent. They're very successful players. This is the upper crust of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of college football players across the country. So they all have talent, but you want to see how they tick, how they're wired, how they react, how they compete. Those are the things you're looking for. Yeah, a lot of talent to look at for those scouts. And very cool that you got a chance to interview some of these guys one-on-one -on -one to really get to some of those areas that I think are helpful to knowing, you know, really whether or not someone is wired for success at the next level. And one guy who is keenly aware of that, the executive director for the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, I, he has a talent for identifying guys at smaller schools that deserve a shot at the Senior Bowl. And so I want to talk about some of those guys with you coming up next. Talking to EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football. You can follow him on Twitter at the Draftsman FB. And we're looking ahead to the Senior Bowl this weekend. One of the things that I really enjoy about the Senior Bowl is that it always seems like Jim Nagy finds these guys who are kind of under the radar and especially the guys from smaller schools. Are there any of those guys there this week that that's kind of the guy to watch for everybody to see if he can hang with the, the bigger schools? Well, I, I don't know if it's to see if he can hang, but he's a guy to watch. Tariq Woolen is a cornerback from UTSA, University of Texas at San Antonio, the Roadrunners. Uh, they won their first. Every, everybody show. knows the Roadrunners. I, I love the Roadrunners <laughs> logo, but um, and there's some pretty good football players that have come out of UTSA. So it's this is not um, the NFL wasteland, but. Uh, I couldn't name one, though, to be Tariq, honest. I, I could not name one, EJ. I know, but <laughs> the Tariq Woolen is somebody you should put on your radar because he, uh, Bruce Feldman, who writes for The Athletic about college football, has an annual freaks list, and he puts it out in the fall um, for guys that have done their um, preseason testing and have come up with insane numbers, whether it's height, weight, speed, jumps, lifting power, whatever. Uh, Tariq Woolen was on the freaks list because he is fully 6'3", 200 pounds, and he ran 4'3". He's really physical. He obviously has great length. He's a pretty good cornerback. He will stick his nose in there. I love his game. Uh, not a name that a lot of people will know. You'll know it come draft time. People say, oh, he's a riser. 
he's not a riser. NFL teams, you know, it's like 6'3", 200 pounds, hits. Checks all the boxes. Four, three. Yeah, I'm sold. Give me. Uh, but he's there competing against uh, all the wide receivers. The wide receiver class is very good. NDSU, so North Dakota State University, not really an unknown small program. They've been national champions eight times out of the last uh, 10 times they've been eligible. I mean, it, it's crazy. But uh, Christian Watson, their wide receiver is there. Uh, he's a little bit taller than I thought he was. He's right up at about 6'4", just over 200 pounds, 205, 210. Smooth as all get out. North Dakota State fans will not be surprised by that. Other people might be um, fast. He, he's got it all. He, he Great hands, natural hands catcher, can win contested, uh, can win with speed, routes, great frame, just really, really good football player. Again, not necessarily a small school anymore. I feel um, like they're kind of like Marshall was back in the day when they were uh, right. you know, and in the left. Brian left, which came out and, you know, Randy Moss had been there before and they did tackles. Pennington, I think, was out of Marshall, right? Yeah. And it's yep. And you start to get a reputation. You start to be able to attract players, especially at that level, um, the sort of what they used to call the mid-major level. Um, you know, anybody that's not getting offered from Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, whatever. It's like, hey. Come play for us. We're gonna win. We're gonna win a national championship. Not gonna be the one you wanted, but you're a really good player, and we like you. So you get that kind of top of the next tier. And yeah, there's a guy like that at the Senior Bowl as, or at the Shrine Bowl as well. Um, and it's weird because a lot of times those guys played um, small time high school football, right? They didn't get noticed because maybe they played uh, in a state that's not a powerhouse, or they played in a really small conference. Um, any number of reasons. This guy played right near Seattle. Oh. Uh, he actually played uh, right out in Kent, which is just east of Seattle, uh, you know, against big time competition where a lot of guys get drafted to the Pac-12 and whatever. And he wasn't a late um, bloomer in terms of being uh, a grower, right? Is this Watson that we're, we're talking about still? No, <laughs> this is another guy that okay. I, I found at the Shrine Bowl. Oh, gotcha. I'm familiar with him. And he went to Idaho State. Okay. And he got no offers. Like he had two offers, and Idaho State was one of them. And he didn't get recruited by any of the big programs. He has a track background. He's 6'3. He's 230 pounds. He plays wide receiver. He has good hands. He likes to block. He has a weightlifting background as well. This guy's going to run like low four five. All right. Like, I'm ready to put his name down, EJ. His name is Tanner Connor. He is a wide receiver for the Idaho State Bengals. And we got to talk to him a couple of times this week. I put something on Twitter about him, and I swear the entire state of Idaho liked it. Um, all his all his youth coaches came out of the woodwork, which is always cool. That's a that's a cool part of this process. But that's a guy that's going to be available fifth round, sixth round, maybe UDFA. Mm -hmm. He can run because he's a track athlete. You can see when he gets in the open, he can run. Great hands, loves to block. No defensive back wants to see a guy six three two thirty coming down on him that can run. You know, high four four, low four five. Great dude, and I, I just. You kind of don't want to ask him because it's maybe a little source of like, why did you not get any offers? How could you be, you know, I think he was six two and like two fifteen. So he's a good sized high school wide receiver. He grew a little bit in college, but not a lot. And you run like this, you're productive. Like, how did you not? And you play in a big conference, high school conference. Like, how did you not get offers? But he didn't. He's here. He had a great career at Idaho State. Um, they obviously love him. <laughs> they have a lot of support. For him and he's a player i want to watch because even if he ends up on a practice squad you know he can play special teams right now and if he gets in there if your wide receiver core gets depleted and you start throwing nine routes to this guy like 
he is a big dude that can go up and get it and he's fast so there's great players everywhere it's just about finding them oh yeah i mean gosh i feel like you know, last year we talked about Cornell Powell, who went to the Chiefs and he ended up on their practice squad. And man, all year I'm waiting for uh, for him to break out. And uh, yeah, it never too. happened. But uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, he'll yeah. still uh, he's, he still has a chance, you know, just getting through his rookie year. Yeah, but, some of it's situation. Oh, yeah. We, more than anything, we realize situation is really important. We always used to say that for quarterbacks, like landing spots so important. Over the last couple of years, both Brett and I have come to realize that landing spot is so much larger than people give it credit for. Oh, right. Yeah. And people uh, I are mean, just really ready to dismiss a player and say, see, he sucks. And none of these guys suck. Yeah. Like none of these guys are bad football players. There's other reasons that we all know about that people don't become successful in any field, especially in the NFL, but it's, it's not football ability. Typically, um, you know, these guys are here for a reason. Um, it's a very selective process. Like only the best of the best make it. NFL. And a lot of times they just need to go to a different place. Um, that we, we ended up talking to a player here and I ended up mentioning a player that I really liked that did not have a great first two, three years in the league. He just got picked up by Pittsburgh and he made some plays down the stretch. And I was like, that's, that's his gig. And he looks at me and he goes, Oh, he's my cousin. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, I'll call him right now. <laughs> so it's just about landing spot. And you see guys that, you know, oh, that guy was really highly regarded coming out of college, going into college, coming out of college in the draft. Oh, he hasn't done anything. Um, you know, like a Cornell Powell goes to a different team, gets a different opportunity, maybe a different scheme. And, you know, two, three years from now, Cornell Powell puts up five, 600 yards as the third receiver on some team. And everybody's like, see, we knew oh, yeah. he was good. I mean, shoot, Sidney Jones, a good example for Seahawks fans listening. Absolutely. Went to, went to Philly, dealt with injuries, went down to Jacksonville, dealing with other issues, and then is able to kind of put it all together, gets an opportunity in Seattle, which, I mean, you look at where he was on the depth chart going into the season. Trey Flowers yep. was still playing. DJ Reed was expected to be healthy. It wasn't looking like he would get a lot of playing time. And, you know, he finished the season looking like a guy that the Seahawks would want to bring back. So, yeah, it, it has a lot to do with just how things end up shaping up for these guys. And it it does make me curious, though. You know, we've had these discussions. You've been doing this for a while. Are there any position groups that you're kind of finding yourself being maybe more adept at identifying talent uh, than another? It's a question that we all ask each other. It's funny. Um, it, it You know, when, you, when you're talking to somebody else that does this, they're like, so what do you? basically what are you good at you know what, what's your favorite what do you, what do you like where's your hit rate yeah there are definitely players uh and player types that i hit on and if you um, could pick one have it be quarterback so that way because oh i feel God, like that's where the money that. can be made and, and so would nfl teams i wouldn't be doing this because i'd be that's what i mean it'd be really good at identifying the best quarterback every single year and, and you'll 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 find yourself uh with an nfl job i think yeah, I would, because it's still a crapshoot, even with all these resources, all the research, all the history, uh, all the advanced analytics, tape, GPS, you name it, um, lots and lots of resources. And it still doesn't work out for different reasons. Um, so somebody said today that I was good at um, identifying edge prospects. Um, I, I think I'm OK at that. Mm -hmm. um, I like running backs. I have a pretty good eye for running backs. I think I'm good at wide receiver, but maybe the NFL doesn't agree because some of those guys like Cornell Powell and don't end up playing or contributing. Um, hey, he made the team. Yeah, no, he made the NFL for sure. Uh, uh, inside linebacker, I think uh, that's one that I wasn't good at. And now I'm much better at because I shifted my 
perception of what the modern NFL linebacker needs to be and kind of got modern, got, got on board with what the league um, feels like. And um, so pro football writers uh, association of America, PFWA puts out an all rookie team. And every year when they do that, I take that all rookie team and I stack it up against my draft grades, my pre-draft grades. Right. And I did that this year and it was a good exercise. It was a really good year for me. And that to me, it's not the end all be all. It doesn't mean I'm great. It's just one of the things I use as a cross check to say, Hey, how do I see it? And how did it work out? Um, and again, that can depend on injury. It can depend on landing spot. It can depend on if the coach got fired, anything else. But this year was a very good year for me in terms of that fit. Um, that Twitter thread is out there. People want to go find it, but I, I did, I did really well this year. There were very few places where I just flat out badly missed. And again, in a, an exercise like the NFL draft where 30% hit rate is pretty good. Right. It was way better than that. Um, so I feel like, you know, after doing this for a decade plus, I might be getting decent at it. <laughs> at the draftsman FB, if you want to check out the Twitter account. And I'm, I'm trying to think back, who are some of the edge guys coming out of senior bowl last year? that that maybe you had an eye on that uh, that proved your point then oh uh, it's this- funny yeah it's funny because the designation was one that got me um so like michael parsons is a guy that had a tremendous rookie year for the dallas cowboys played all over the place but he came to penn state as an edge they moved him back to mike and there was a lot of debate about is he a middle linebacker is he an outside linebacker is he a strong side linebacker is he a true edge you know, where, what's a team going to do with him? What's their plan? Where are they going to play him? Well, he goes to Dan Quinn, who Seahawks fans will be very familiar with. And he plays them all over and he plays everywhere great. He's matching running backs 35 yards down the field. He's playing sideline to sideline in coverage. They're lining him up on pass downs on the edge. He's getting sacks, hits, hurries, pass deflections. He was just kind of all Mr. Everything. I didn't have him ranked as a middle linebacker, which is where he sort of ended up playing the most. I had him as an edge, and again, because he hadn't been all that successful at Penn State, he had tremendous measurables. I had him as like edge five. You know, if we redrafted it, probably be about edge two, maybe three, maybe, depending. Um, so it depends on where, you know, I think a player might be ranked or play best, and and teams might have a very different opinion. Seahawks fans will be familiar with Isaiah Simmons, the yep. middle linebacker for the Cardinals. It's the same thing. Should he be a safety? Should he be a dimebacker? Uh, he's got such great range. Should we put him at middle? Should we put him at weak side linebacker? The Cardinals are still figuring that out. They certainly figured it out over the first half of his rookie season. He played better, but it really depends. If you projected that guy as like the best safety in the class, which he may well have been, he really hasn't had that many safety reps. So uh, that's a that's a fun. We're still one. talking, uh, you know, top third of the draft type guys, though. Oh yeah. Um, oh, so are there are there any guys at the Senior Bowl this year? Can the Seahawks get a Micah Parsons? I, I think they could really use a guy like that on their team this coming uh, year. In the second round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can absolutely. There are a stack of guys at the Senior Bowl. There are a couple here that are more developmental guys that maybe go in the fourth round, and a year from now they're they're contributing. Everybody says, "How did they go in the fourth round?" The Senior Bowl is not like that. Senior Bowl, both teams, uh, the edge rushing class is stacked. Guys that are, Jermaine Johnson has been destroying the first two days of practice. He's a Florida State guy, uh, has everything you want, size, speed, power. Uh, He's been running guys over who are top-rated tackles, just obliterating them. Um, People have said things like he's on a mission. So 
there's him, but you start digging into the guys behind him and there's a lot of them. And so, yeah, absolutely. They're going to be able, they're not all going to be able to be drafted in the first round, even though it's a very high value position. Second round, absolutely. There's going to be guys that have power that can play the sort of more five tech, but still have a ton of pass rush. There's athletic freaks who are a little bit skinnier, longer guys like my J Sanders from Cincinnati, Mari Barno from Virginia Tech is extremely long, lanky, and fast. Um, there's there's every body type you want from squatty and stout on the interior to like, how does that guy that's that tall move that fast? They're all over the top of the draft board. So Hawks absolutely will have the shot of the guy they like. How about if we move inside at the three technique spot as far as some of the those interior pass rush guys? Uh, any Anybody to watch for at the Senior Bowl? Uh, yeah. So, um, Perion Winfrey, probably three technique, just a ball of energy. Nobody's been able to keep with him. Speed, hands, power. Yeah. Really, really good. Haskell Garrett's there from Ohio state. Um, Dominique Robinson is a name maybe that you don't, um, aren't as familiar with, uh, from Miami of Ohio, smaller school Mm -hmm. and Logan Hall from the university of Houston has also had a really good first couple of days. Um, all guys that could be in the running for top three tech in the draft um, all provide pass rush. Um, and then one more guy that's had just a great first couple of days on the interior, Travis Jones. He's probably going to be more of a one or a zero. He's, he's UConn, University of Connecticut. Big guy, but he has been overpowering. Again, the best interior offensive lineman in the country on the regular uh, through the first two days of the Senior Bowl. Yeah, the Seahawks, they could definitely use some pass rush. Another position that I'm I'm thinking that maybe they need, and this is a position that you and I have talked about quite a bit with Colby Parkinson coming out of Stanford and, you know, maybe in position to get some more playing time here this upcoming year, depending on what the Seahawks do in free agency, because you've got Gerald Everett as a free agent. Will Disley's coming up for, for you know, free agent as well. And which one of those guys they end up keeping or, you know, maybe they could go tight end in the draft. And it, it sounds like there's quite a bit of depth from what you're saying that uh, at the tight end spot. There's a ton. Um, Jeremy Rucker is a guy that uh, went back to Ohio State this year, was thinking about coming out last year and probably would have been tight end in running for tight end two last year uh, if he'd come out um, right up with Pat Fryermuth, who ended up going to the Steelers. He's at Senior Bowl has been looking good. Cole Turner from Nevada. Charlie Kolar is Brock Purdy's tight end uh, from Iowa State. Trey McBride, uh, a lot of people thought he was the consensus top tight end going into Mobile. He's looked pretty good as well. Again, Jelani Woods was a guy that was here. Um, he's, I think he's going to be better than some of the guys that were in Mobile. Um, just because, again, six seven, really good first step, fluid catcher of football. Uh, and then there's one guy that's way down the board, which seems more like the Seahawks uh, M.O. at tight end. Uh, and that's uh, Tegan Quitteriano. And he's a tight end from Oregon State. Big, tall guy. Um, blocks pretty hard. Isn't super fluid, but can absolutely move. Reminds me of Parkinson a little bit. Not quite as tall. But yeah, tons of talent at tight end for the first time in a while. And if the Seahawks do want to reinforce those ranks, they're going to have a ton of choices. It does seem like they could go either with more of the the pass blocking type guy. Will Disley's done a lot of that. Gerald Everett, though, more of the pass catching guy. If you're gonna if you're gonna pick a pass catcher out of that group, who do you go with? Ooh, I really like a guy that was at Oklahoma and uh, has gone to 
uh, he did his final year of eligibility at SMU, and that's Grant Calcaterra. He reminds me a ton of Mark Andrews, and Mark Andrews was his predecessor at Oklahoma, so it feels like a bit of a cheap comp. But you watch him on the field, and he's very much the Mark Andrews type. Really, really good player. Greg Dulcich from UCLA right down the road uh, is a really good player that's at the Senior Bowl as well. And then if you really want to pass catching tight end, there was one here at the Shrine Bowl who really opened our eyes. He was uh, the tight end at Maryland, uh, and it's Chiggy Aconquo. And he's a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. a little bit faster, but he's a tremendous blocker, which usually those guys who are sort of in the 6'3", you know, 235, 240-ish range are not great blockers. He is a fantastic inline blocker, even at that size, but he can also get deep. Um, caught a couple of nice deep crosses this week. Uh, we had a chance to sit down and talk with him. Very versatile guy. And as you know, modern NFL offense is a guy that you can put in the slot, put in line, drop him even in to play H-back or fullback. Um, Chiggy could do all those things and played special teams as well at Maryland for three out of his four years. So really, really valuable player. Again, going to be available later on with all these tight ends. There's going to be good guys in the fourth, fifth, the sixth, and uh, versatility like that. It's basically a roster spot and a half if you play special teams, almost two. Well, flipping over to the defensive side, let's talk a little corner because, I, as we talked about before, Sidney Jones is going to be a free agent. DJ Reed, another one of those guys. So, you know, especially not knowing how free agency is going to play out, it it uh, it definitely makes it tough to really. I don't know, narrow, narrow down where exactly you want to go with, with some of these spots. But I, I do want to go with corner. I think that's a it's a spot that they could at least use some depth on. So uh, any senior bowl guys that that we could be watching for that. And, you know, we always used to talk about EJ, how Pete Carroll has a type. And it's these that's six, right. three guys that, you know, the long corners, 200 pounds. But now uh, we're starting to see, you know, Trey Brown out of Oklahoma, who's a smaller guy and quick and, uh, you know, got some starting reps before he got injured this season. So I don't even know where to go with the the Pete Carroll type when it comes to corner anymore. Yeah, I think that one might have had a little it's got some cracks in it for sure. Uh, Whenever a GM has those types about a player, it makes it easier for us. So we always cry a little bit when those GMs move on because we're like, Oh, we know what he liked at defensive tackle. We know what he liked at corner. So we kind of have to start over with a clean slate, but um, in terms of talent, some good cornerback talent at senior bowl, it's really top guy, which is a weird thing to say because it doesn't have the ideal physical profile is Roger McCreary out of Auburn. He's impressed over the first couple of days. He has very short arms. I know that doesn't seem like a thing, but that is definitely an anti Seahawks corner thing, but he makes it work. He's a bit of a magician. He doesn't play what I would call typically, but look, he's played in the sec against everybody. Yeah. You know, all the Alabama wide receivers. Uh, and you know, he's had great success. Looks like he's going to continue that. Uh, Mario Goodrich uh, from Clemson is another name to watch. Who's down there? Darian Kendrick is one of the national champ Georgia Bulldogs that's there at corner. And then uh, a guy that made a little bit of a little bit of noise on day one, quite frankly, was Cam Taylor Britt uh, from Nebraska. And he came up and they're running a a new drill uh, at Senior Bowl where basically it's a wide receiver trying to run a pick. So they run two wide receivers on the outside. 
First wide receiver goes up, tries to pick the corner. The following receiver tries to go around, basically wheel up the boundary. Cam Taylor Britt was having none of that and destroyed the picker, like just decleated him. And it was a noise. Um, seems a bit like a Seahawks corner. Uh, in terms of the old measurables, Alante Taylor from Tennessee is a guy you might take a look at. Strangely enough, Steve Spagnolo, defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, uh, has a similar type to what Pete sort of used to like. Right. Like some similar measurables there. And uh, my Chiefs guys that were here uh, really liked Alante Taylor. So I'm just kind of cheating off their notes. Well, you know, I, I wonder, though, with some of the things we've we've heard from Pete, because he likes to give us little clues about where the direction may be going. And he's talking about being more aggressive on the defensive side. And so I do wonder if there's any corners that, you know, fit that aggressive nature. And maybe you know, one of the things that they have had a problem with, I mean, Quandre Diggs has been the guy who's been leading the team in interceptions these past years. It hasn't been the corners. So are there are there corners maybe that we should watch for who have been really good at picking off the football? In terms of ball hawks, uh, some of the guys that are the best ball hawks in the draft aren't at either uh, All-Star game because they're top picks in the draft and they don't need to go. Um, and those guys so aren't going to be Gardner, there in the second and third round in, anyway. Yep. So <laughs> Yeah, Sauce Gardner uh, out of Cincinnati is, is a guy that you should watch. He makes a ton of plays on the football. His running mate, um, named Kobe Bryant, uh, C-O-B-Y, uh, is the other Cincinnati corner, and he is in Mobile. He is also really good. And then a guy that you, you talked about aggression, and that was the thing that stuck in my ear. There's a guy out of Penn State, and Penn State corners tend to be very physical, tend to be very aggressive. Um, and Tariq Castro-Fields uh, is a corner that's played really well for the Nittany Lions. He's in Mobile as well. Um, hasn't made a ton of noise over the first couple of days, so I'll need to go back and check tape on him, but is a guy that throughout his Penn State tenure played very physical, played with a lot of aggression, so might fit that more aggressive mindset on defense. Well, EJ, I I really want to thank you for coming on. I know uh, we're going to have a lot of time here through this offseason talking about different guys, especially once the combine starts coming around. And after that, I know, well, you're just going to be busy, but uh, (laughs) I, I really appreciate you making time to come on and breaking down some of these players. So hopefully we'll we can chat then after the senior bowl and, and see, you know, how how some of these guys hit uh, over the senior bowl weekend and maybe guys that we should be watching for then come to the combine as well. Yeah, absolutely. Love to always appreciate the opportunity. It's great, Brandon. Yeah. If people want to check out your show along with Brett and, uh, you know, really get into that draft coverage where they go to tune in. Yeah, they can head to YouTube or any of their favorite podcast outlets. Check out the Bootleg Football Podcast. That's where most of the work is going to be. A little bit of it will show up on Windy City Gridiron uh, and my podcast there, Bears Over Beers. But typically head to YouTube, type in Bootleg Football. Uh, We also just launched a Bootleg Football Clips channel also on YouTube. And a lot of our shorter content is going to end up there. So the weekly podcast will stay on Bootleg Football, the main channel. But if we're just profiling one player, um, we've got some short interviews we're going to cut up from the Shrine Bowl. That stuff will end up over on Bootleg Football Clips. So go ahead and like and subscribe both of those channels and you'll get basically all of our draft content. Thanks once again to EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football. And of course, you can catch him on Bears Over Beers, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Subscribe to his show. Subscribe to our show. You can go to sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. While you're over there, check out fieldgoals.com. Lots of news because we have news around the defensive coordinator position. The Seahawks are reportedly adding Ed Donatel to the coaching staff, but 
it's not going to be at the defensive coordinator spot. That reportedly is going to the Seahawks coach on the defensive line, Clint Hurt. And uh, interesting move to go ahead and elevate him now. It seems to me that, gosh, if you're going to make that move, why not make it toward the middle of the season when things are starting to go bad for the defense? That way you have a way to evaluate him at that spot throughout the rest of the season. And hey, maybe that happened and we don't know about it. And maybe that's why we stopped seeing so many defensive linemen drop into coverage, whether it was Benson Mayoa or Puna Ford or Carlos Dunlap. Maybe that was part of the reason why. And so if he was the reason behind some of that shift defensively in the second half of the season, perhaps it could be a good move. We will have to see, but we can all talk about it up at fieldgoals.com. Lots of comments on that article. Check that out, fieldgoals.com. I will be back. I'm sure we'll be having more to discuss around this defensive coordinator job. So we'll be back talking more of that coming up soon. And until then, go Hawks.